Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we are starting our new series on the Prohibition documentary by Ken Burns. This is available on Canopy, and we also have it in the collection if you would like to watch it before listening to this episode or at a later time. We are here today with Anne. Hello, everyone. She also works in reference with me. Um, and we chose this because Prohibition is fascinating. Yes, it, very much so. <laughs> and what we're doing today is basically just leading up to Prohibition. We haven't even hit no the fun part yet. <laughs> no, we're, this will be a three-part series yes. with each episode of the podcast reflecting an episode of the documentary. So this one is just going to cover episode one, A Nation of Drunkards. Yes. So what were your initial reactions? Very, very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize half the stuff that went down. I didn't realize that, like, in 1826, up in New England, there was a Reverend Beecher who, after seeing, like, how jobs were lost and people were losing their families all due to alcohol, he came up with six sermons of intemperance. And that was basically the beginning of the temperance movement in the United States. So that I found Mm -hmm. very fascinating. And um, how they always thought that, um, back then, that, Americans drank it every every social yeah. occasion, and it was considered as wholesome as apple pie at the time. Yeah, they they start right in talking about how there was specific grog time that yes. they would have ingrained in their workday, where yep. people would take two breaks a day and just go drink their beer or alcohol, and then go back to work. Yes, which is absolutely wild, wild when you about think it. about it. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. just think about it. Yeah, <laughs> and then. Things kind of took a turn when hard liquor hit the scene. Oh, yes. Because yes. they were going from, like, weak beer that you kind of just made at home to whiskey and gin and yes, the in- beverages with yes. super high alcohol. level, yes. Yeah. And there, people were, like, just falling over in the streets. Yeah. Barely making it home. Oh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> and they gave a statistic <laughs> that... An average person over the age of 15 would consume about 88 bottles of whiskey a year, which is three times more than people drink today. Yes. And they did. more than I drink in my entire life, I think. Right? Yes. I, yeah. I couldn't even imagine. No, I couldn't imagine that. And that's like 15. Yeah. Like, wow. That, yeah. you know. I know. Um, I went to the National Constitution Center in Philly. Okay. Had a prohibition exhibit that they had on. I forget what the exact title of it was, um, but I went to that. And when you first walked in, they had the 88 bottles like on the oh, wall wow. light up. So you could visualize it more. And it was so much. I'm wow. Like, I don't think I've seen this much. <laughs> were they like, like regular size bottles that we would see today or were they smaller? The mm-hmm. ones that they used were... Kind of slightly larger than, like, beer bottles today. Like, maybe okay. if you put two beer bottles together. Okay, all right. But it was all whiskey. It was whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's that's something else. Yeah. I could... Oof. And like, they please. talked about how, like, men's drinking would ruin their family's lives. Yes. Because alcohol is an addictive substance. Right. So yep. they would spend all their earnings on that, and their wife and children would have no food. Exactly. Or people that get violent when they get drunk. drunk would take it out on yeah. their families. And it was so convenient and so nice of the saloons to cash the checks for the workers also. Yeah. 
you know, it was very convenient. Yeah, so most of them never made it home with any money. No. In 1840, a society of reformed drunkards, which were also called Washington Societies, came on the scene. Yes. And how I understood this was basically an Alcohols Anonymous type situation. That's what I thought, like the prequel to that. That's the same thing I thought. Where people go and... Be like, hi, my name is Soso, and I drink too much. Yes. And then they would vow to stop drinking. And uh, I found it interesting that clergy didn't like this. Right. Because they thought... Yeah, because the church was so big behind once you get more into this Mm -hmm. that it's, you know... And in the beginning, they were also... The temperance movement was more of like... Drinking in moderation at mm-hmm. first. That's what they went with. And then it was abstinence. Yeah. Total. You know, saying, yeah. like, nope, we're not drinking Nothing. anymore at all. And then alcohol just became a scapegoat for all of society's feelings. Yes, it did. So, like, yep. if crops went bad, it was because of alcohol. alcohol. Everything was alcohol's problem. Yeah. Yep. If the economy went bad, stocks went bad, that alcohol's problem. Problem. Yep. That's and exactly what they would say. I found it fascinating that in Portland, Maine, they had a mayor, Neil Dow. And that was where the first prohibition law went into effect. Yes. Um, And that went into effect June 2nd of 1851. That banned manufacturing and selling of alcohol. And people hated this. Oh, they did. They did. There were mass protests where the state militia had to be called in. Yes. And what I found fascinating about that whole thing was the fishermen still found ways to get Mm -hmm. it in with coffins. Yeah. um, Barrels marked with sugar. Or have a physician write out a prescription. Mm-hmm. But the best thing was the people who sold the liquor out of their boots, that's where bootlegger came yeah. from. That, <laughs> I thought, that is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> people will find a way. <laughs> yes, to get it. Yes. Yeah. And then that was repealed in 1860. Yes, that so was, yeah. Almost, it's in, no, it stuck around nine years? It's about nine years. So. That was about it, yeah. And the whole thing behind it was... They said Maine was such a big drinking state because of the blue-collar mm-hmm. jobs that we consider today, like the fishermen, and they had nothing else to do. Yeah. The Civil War happened. Yes. And that's when liquor licenses came on. Yes, that's when, yep. And that was to raise money for the war efforts. Mm-hmm. And it also, during that era, is when a lot of new immigrants came to the United States. So a large influx of the Irish Rich. due to the potato famine, mm-hmm. a large influx of Germans. Mm-hmm. Yep. So all these new cultures with all of their traditional European drinking habits entered the United, United States. States. Right. And that's what started everything going back again. And the, the liquor license, too, was right for the um, the war effort. But then a third of the federal budget would come from the taxing of the alcohol, mm-hmm. too. So they were making out on it. Yeah. So you they, know. everyone was happy. Yes. Everyone <laughs> was very, very happy. Uh-huh. Yes. And then... Um, In the 1870s, the U.S. Breweries Association was founded to protect the interest of all the brewers. Mm -hmm. And what I found fascinating with that is that um, all the meetings and communications were in German. That I thought was very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. I also found it interesting that it was all of the brands that we know today. Exactly. It was like Bush and Miller and Pabst. Yes. And and all of the mainstays that you hear of people drinking. Yeah, that are still around to this day. It's, it's just, it's, yeah, that I found very, very interesting. And then it went back to women's run temperance it's, movements. Yes. So you had Eliza Jane Thompson, 
who lost her son to alcohol and then found purpose through advocating for temperance. Right. And she would, I found her fascinating just because her main tactic was getting a group of women to go stand outside a bar and pray. Uh, Yes. And that's exactly what they did. Uh They would all be dressed in black. They would all be a prey. But then what was happening, too, with her, and I felt bad with this, is that mm-hmm. when they would go to the larger cities in Ohio, the saloon keepers would invite them in and then douse them with beer yeah. and then send them back out into the snow and the cold. Mm-hmm. And I just thought... But that was another thing where the temperance movement came back up, and then within two years or so, it started fading yeah. away again. And then we had Frances Willard, which... She created Women's Christian Temperance Union, which I feel is what people think of when they think of the Prohibition movement. Yes, exactly. The signs with the WCTU. Right, yes. The women marching. And she was from Illinois. And her main way of getting the message out was to write letters and pamphlets and speeches Mm -hmm. with the help of Anna Gordon. And she also went very into the women's suffrage movement and i found it fascinating that even back then she was advocating for equal pay between men and women women yes because that's something that is still going on today today. (laughs) yep yes and she was even into she was a champion for like women's education Mm -hmm. and their rights she established homes you know for the addicted and she she just did so much more like you don't realize I feel like when you think of prohibition and like temperance movements, you just think of the marching. Yes, you don't realize all the background, all the background stuff that went on too that you would never even. Yeah, like with Mary Hunt. Yes. I had no idea about any of this. Nope. Mm -mm. She was the main proponent of anti alcohol education being placed in public schools. And it was a whole misinformation campaign. Oh, my God, was it ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I have a list here that I wrote down in my notes of things that were published in public schools to teach children that are the consequences if you have one drink of alcohol. <laughs> you have instant death. Oh, yes. And then your stomach will rot away and you just won't have a stomach. Spontaneous human combustion. That was a good one. That one I did like. <laughs> <laughs> it was so... I'm like... What? <laughs> yes. It, yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then multi-generational illnesses where, like, right. if you get a sore in your body, your children and your grandchildren will all have yep. the same, same. issue. <laughs> <laughs> but and my favorite was the spontaneous human. Yeah, that was a very good one. I Yeah, that one took me by surprise also. Yeah, while yeah. I was watching it, I texted my friend, and I'm like, I didn't know alcohol was a reason between that. But then again, alcohol back then, God knows how... <laughs> It was probably 100% proof, so you probably yeah. could. <laughs> and then the documentary shifted a little to talk mm-hmm. about saloon culture and yes. masculinity within, yes. within the cultures. Yeah. And and the different the t- different type of saloon cultures. Mm-hmm. Like um, the Irish were more stand-up bars, they yeah. said. And then the Germans were more sit-down, dinner, family-oriented. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was fascinating. Yeah, and I knew saloons were a major part of culture, but I didn't realize how much they offered to the people living That's in their tr- communities. Right. Because they talked about how the saloon, most of the time, was where jobs were posted, and it worked as a post office and had your veterans association. I feel like the actual idea behind the saloon culture kind of is something that 
is still around today where you work Monday through Friday so you can take a night to go hang out oh, with your friends. friends right, exactly. Do whatever you want. Um, but back then, it was mainly male-dominated. It, so it was Very like, much so. Guys meeting up with their friends, friends and yes. just drinking with the boys. boys exactly. <laughs> a lot of politicians would show up conveniently mm-hmm. to, you know, get their get, message across and buy people's mouth balls. So yes. They vote for yep. Them. Exactly. And I found too that it was interesting that they did talk a lot about how the saloons would set um, salty foods yeah. so that people would drink more and i still think that's around today when you go to different mm-hmm. places because you have peanuts or pretzels, pretzels or chip and everything yeah. so that you would drink more i thought that was kind of cool yeah and then in reaction to saloon culture you have carrie nation oh yes who might be the most famous person out of the prohibition movement. i would think so yes um she basically went into saloons and smashed them up up yep and she believed she was directed by God to do this to help enforce Kansas's prohibition laws. Boss. Yes, exactly. She used what she called strikers. Yeah. And it was like stones and rocks, and they would be in like um, like some kind of pouch type yeah. thing, and then she would whip them at the, yeah. the bottles. And, and just smash up all uh, the alcohol uh, behind uh, the, the bar. bar. Yep. And... I feel like people just didn't know what to do with her. They didn't. I, I don't, because they didn't. No. no. So they were just like, um, maybe we should actually enforce our prohibition laws here in Kansas. And that's how they tried to stop her. Yes. And so many people thought that she was insane. And yes, just they did. Had no idea what to do. And even the Women's Christian Temperance Union distanced from her. For very, yes, yes, they did. Because they were yep. like, this is not how we want to conduct things. She, right. They felt she was too extreme. But she just did her thing. Thing in that. Did he, um, I know her her first husband died of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. So I think that might have had something. Yeah, that was part I of probably, it. Probably that might have had something to do with. And then I know her second one divorced her. Divorced her, yes. I can't yes. remember if alcohol played a role in I don't think it did, but I know um, if you read up on her, her family on her mother's side had a lot of um, mental issues. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe that possibly could yeah. have. She, but I think she meant well. She yes. really meant well, but she took it to the extreme. Mm-hmm. Because they even say in the documentary, she believed that she was smashing up the bars to help keep children safe exactly that's yes that's was that was what she was yeah. behind mm-hmm. and then we had the anti-saloon league oh yes which was reverend howard hyde russell in yes. 1893 yep where i thought this was smart where they only focused on getting rid of alcohol in a dry country and they literally did not care about anything else right and that yes they focused on one thing and that was it and they were, I guess at one time, they were one of the most powerful groups in the United yeah. States. Where they made it a wedge issue. So either yes. you were against this so, or right. not. And yep. that determined if you won the election or not. Oh, very much so, yes. Very much so. And Wayne B. Wheeler was involved. And he seemed like he organized everything. He was yeah. the main driving force. He went around on his little bicycle Yes, to get those... Or to, like, campaign for those who were dry candidates. And 
he would work with those who were wet candidates but promised to enact dry laws. Right, exactly. Yep. So to get elected, you had to be in his good graces. Right, yes. Essentially. Yes. Very much. Yeah, that was big up then. Yeah, and I found it interesting that I feel like women really drove the whole movement and like created and solidified it. Right. But then because it was such a male dominated culture in terms of politics and right. like elections, mm-hmm. the men had to eventually take it over and that's the only way anything actually, actually got, got done. done. Exactly. Yes. And I never realized that um they considered a prohibition a progressive movement. Mm-hmm. That I I didn't realize that I didn't. They kept saying it was progressive. Yeah, it's like oh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't. I didn't yeah, I, I feel like you. I've never really thought about it either way. I like I never, I never did either. No, I never thought of it as like progressive or conservative, conservative or anything. Thing, no, I just it, it was a thing. It was yeah. a thing. It's a part of our history. And they did point out though that. While Prohibition was a progressive movement and it was founded and pushed by a concern for the well-being of people, they didn't actually consult people. No, they did not. No, no they did not. They, they just, decided this on their own. They decided to just push their own agenda. Not, yep. And they didn't take into account any of the cultural differences exactly. that yes. they were impacting. Yes. And it had this whole underlying theme of like racism against immigrant communities. Yes. Yes. Where they viewed immigrant populations as not real Americans, and yes, you're right. Since like Italian and Irish and German immigrant communities were relatively newer in cities and populations, they kind of just went after them, being like, "Oh, they're the reason we they're have the all these problems,", problems right. which wasn't the case. No. It's that alcohol is addictive, <laughs> exactly, and it's been around since the beginning of time. Yeah, so yeah. And then we get to Adolphus Bush, yes. who started Bush Brewing, which is still around, and you see commercials for, for it in all billboards. The time. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I this is slightly off topic, but I found it fascinating that he was the youngest of twenty one children. Yes, I did too. <laughs> I did too. And then he came over with like three of his brothers. Yeah, and he knew he wouldn't. But his family was very wealthy back mm-hmm. in Germany. But he knew he wouldn't inherit that much yeah. because of all the. Other, I that blew I my, can't I, imagine I, being in that large of a family. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, uh-uh. uh. And then he um. He went into business with his father-in-law, then Anheuser, mm-hmm. and that's where we get Anheuser Busch from. Yeah. And they were one of the first um, companies to ship beer across the United States. Yeah, which yeah. was that was that was kind of interesting. It is when you think about like all the all the things they had to do to get mm-hmm. everything. You know, the packing, this yeah, that just amazed me. Yeah, and then he owned like every part of the process. process yes. And, and every politician and legislator yeah. and newspaper <laughs> <Yep>. articles. <laughs> he was a smart man. Because he had so much money that he could yes, just... Yes, he could just do what he wanted. Lobby and yep. do anything. Exactly. If he didn't like what newspaper was publishing, he could essentially just create his own well, and ex- be like, here you go. And that's what he did. That's what he did. And then the main feeling that he had with his pushback against Prohibition was that he kind of helped position brewers against distillers. Exactly. And being like, beer's okay, but but whiskey whiskey is is evil. evil. (laughs) That's exactly what it was. Yep, he wanted them, he wanted people to turn on the distilleries 
because of whiskey. It was so bad. But the beer, oh, no, that was good for yeah. you. <laughs> and um, the breweries poured a lot of money into the German United Alliance also to keep them in good standing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that PA New York had the largest German immigrant populations at that time. I didn't either. Now, that but, was like... I mean... Pennsylvania it makes sense to me because of the Pennsylvania Dutch communities right, and down and through there. But I just it, it never like dawned on me that yeah. they would have that many. <laughs> yeah. And then by 1913. Oh, before we get to 1913, oh, yeah, I just want to throw a little thing that I thought was very, very interesting was Patrick J. Kennedy oh, of yes. um, of Boston in the 1890s took the money from the saloons that he had and started the Kennedy family dynasty. I just thought that was fascinating mm-hmm. where that money came from and how far they went. <laughs> yeah, and how you can see all of like the political implications yes. of prohibition in alcohol in modern day politics. Yes, exactly, yep. In the documentary... They gave a list of all the states that had banned the brewing of alcohol by 1913. Yes. And it was way more than I was expecting. I know. Me too. Me too. <laughs> there was Maine, North Dakota, Georgia, Mississippi, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, North Carolina, Tennessee, and West Virginia. Virginia. Yes. And some of them surprised me. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. But then they said... With the southern states, a lot of it had to do with... There's a lot of racist so, ideology. Yeah, exactly. That's um, exactly what it was. I'm sure religion played a oh, major I'm sh- part a big, in a, a lot big, of yes. the states as yep. well. Yeah, especially the it's, southern, that Bible, the, the Bible, Bible belt. belt. Yes. <laughs> and then income taxes were introduced. Yay! And <laughs> as Anne had the statistic before, where beer taxes and liquor licenses were a major mm. prop up of the economy... Brewers kind of thought they were protected because right. it was such an influential part of the running of the entire United States exactly. economy. But then income taxes were introduced, and that kind of undermined every Yes, exactly. And around that time, the Women's Christian Temperance Union and the Anti-Saloon League joined forces, and they marched to Washington to mm-hmm. demand a prohibition amendment to be added to the Constitution. And it was so popular with so many people. So they had people such as Henry Ford, who were rich in manufacturers. Um, They had the socialist groups. They had, there were people like Booker T. Washington. Yes, Carnegie. Carnegie was a big one. Um, Republicans, Democrats. It didn't matter where you fell on the political spectrum. You could find somebody, somebody. easily. Yes, that exactly. That that was yes, very much so. And I, what I also found interesting was this was 1913, and what they were afraid of was by the time the 1920 census came around, that the cities would have such bigger populations in some of these mm-hmm. smaller towns that the alcohol would be flowing freely, and prohibition would not. The amendment yeah. would not get passed because of the bigger cities. Mm-hmm. So 1920 was like a deadline. Yes, that that's when they get everything done. Exactly. And then many, I found this interesting, the dry option laws that a lot of okay. states had where counties could individually choose whether they want it to be a dry area or not. Right. It, it didn't even depend if you lived in a dry or wet state. It depended on your county. county. Exactly. <laughs> Which I think in some places it still exists, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Pennsylvania has any, but I know Jersey has a few. Yeah. I 
I don't know about Pennsylvania. I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. But I know Jersey, there's a few mm-hmm. areas over there that are still yeah. dry. And I also found it interesting that it was generally understood that these laws would only close saloons and wouldn't right. impact people's ability to drink at home. Right. Exa- yeah, exactly. They, I don't think they thought of that. No. No. They were just like, oh, saloons are bad. Yes. But sitting at home with your family, yeah. having wine over dinner, dinner, that's not going to be impacted at all. Exactly. They didn't even, yeah. But they didn't realize how wide of a ramification <laughs> prohibition would what, have. On every, Yes. And then World War One broke out. Yes, it did. And alcohol was banned in the Navy, which I found wild. Yes, it was. Yep. Josephus Daniels. That's it. Yes. yes. Yep. He completely banned alcohol from the Navy, which mm. I find it was interesting in my brain because I think I associate like a lot of veterans groups and people in the military right. often tend to use alcohol. Yes. Right. Yes. It, like in my own experience. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And you see, like, veteran centers. And they're yes. often so closely tied to a bar. A bar. Yes, the VFWs, yeah. they have their own bars mm-hmm. and all. Yes. So I thought it was interesting that it was just completely banned in the Navy. Then American society became increasingly anti-German. Yes. Because of the war. And so the public turned against German companies and products. Yes. And that included almost all of the major breweries. breweries right, because they were all German. Yeah. Yes. And those who were for prohibition used it to their advantage because they would publish propaganda being like, if you buy this alcohol, uh, then you're supporting Germany. Germany, and then you're committing treason. Yeah, so. which isn't uh, how that yeah. works. But that's what yes, they that believed was, and pushed. <laughs> yes, they pushed that very much. And then alcohol was restricted because of the war, because... Right. Rations were sent to troops that right. included alcohol. Exactly. On August 1st of 1917, the Senate voted to pass a prohibition amendment mm-hmm. and said that the country had seven years to get the 36 states needed to ratify right. it. And Wayne Wheeler also ran the show on that. Yes, he did. They showed him in the documentary where... They talked about how everyone looked to him to see yes. how he would vote, and yes. they followed him. him. Exactly. Yes. And I thought that was fascinating. Yes, he was. He shot, He was like up in the the, the gallery, yeah. and like it was. Um, they compared it almost to like a Roman mm-hmm. emperor sitting up there, and whatever yeah. that thing. People would turn and to look to see what his vote was gonna. Yeah. Yes, because they didn't want to follow to his favor. Exactly. Because they want to get reelected. Exactly. They also talked about how no one thought that 36 states were going to pass it within that seven years. Right. But it only took a little over a year. A little over a year, and they they, they had the 36 states, and, and Nebraska was the last state to... Yep. And that was on January 16th of 1919 mm-hmm. when Nebraska ratified it, so then Prohibition would go into effect the next year on January 16th, 1920. Yes. And I always wondered why it was, like, such a random date. date yeah, like, why... But... It makes sense then that it was when Nebraska ratified it. Right. It wasn't like a set organized state. state. Right. So, and then it came into effect and all the leaders of the prohibition gathered at the first congressional church mm-hmm. in Washington to hear William Jennings Bryant's speech, which I guess was supposed to be very over the top mm-hmm. from what they say. And it had ended exactly at midnight. <laughs> and then <Yes>. they party. <laughs> <laughs> and... 
the whole issue with this was that alcohol was the fifth largest industry. And so there was going to be mass unemployment. And then eventually crime would begin to rise as the legal alcohol and bootleggers were booming business. And this is stuff they didn't think about. No, and they didn't think about how to enforce it either. No, they did not. No, no. That's all in episode two, two, though. So we'll be talking about that next week when we come back. Do you have any final thoughts? Just fascinating. Very, Mm -hmm. very fascinating. I didn't realize all the steps, how many years they went, all the different, like, ebbs and lows, like how it would Mm -hmm. come at forefront and go back down. Yeah. Just basically like today, like, you know, something happens, everybody's like, let's do this, and then within two weeks, (laughs) it's gone. So it was the same thing, but I I found it very fascinating. Yeah, I did too, because I always understood it as kind of like a building progression and not... Something that had like starts and stops. Stops, and exactly. And all we ever know about it is the newsreels of the people busting the barrels of liquor. Yeah. And they, we don't, why? Why were they, you know, yeah. we didn't really know all the and ins and outs. We just knew that people wanted prohibition. And I feel like you never get like a full picture of no. it unless you go watch it or study exactly. it. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I found it fascinating. I did too. I found it. I found it very fascinating, and I can see me going down a rabbit hole on um, Adolphus Bush one of these days. Yes, because I'm fascinated with his life, and we do like to go on rabbit holes. We do. We do like rabbit holes. So. We just find all the information about something. Yes, whether it's useful or not. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and be sure to join us again next week for episode two. two. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, anything at all, feel free to email me at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Or feel free to call the library at 570-348-3000. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.